truly a sweet, sweet, sweet spirit of the Lord in this place. And um, each of you who knows the Lord contributes to that more than you are aware of. And every smiling face, every word of welcome, Yarby and I both appreciate that very much. And I'm a little bit scared. I enjoy, wow, Sunday school. Nathan, thank you for teaching Psalm 100. And if you weren't here in Sunday school, that was awesome in terms of God's worthiness to be praised because of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. And what a mighty God we have. And there truly is no other but the one true and living God. And all throughout the ages, people have tried to invent gods to their own liking. But the one true God who made us in his likeness keeps calling us to himself. And he's made a way through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. And even now, he's praying for us at the Father's right hand. And isn't that awesome? And even though there's this this small group of children and yet large group, and if they'd have told me their names, I would have already forgotten them. And some of y'all might identify with that, but some of y'all are younger and more sharper by far than I. Um, but how God keeps track of all of us, just like he keeps track of all the stars, and how he loves us and how Jesus is at God's right hand, praying for us, interceding for us, even while he's busy preparing a place for us, that where he is, there we may be also. And so, oh, how worthy he is to be worshipped and praised. And every one of you here is God's unique, one-of-a-kind creation. Raise your hand if you're a twin. Any twins in here today? Even twins and triplets and on beyond that sometimes, uh, they are unique and one of a kind, even though they might have a twin. And there's nobody that can replace any one of you, and God made it that way, and he is worthy. Before we look in his word, uh, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper here a little bit later in the service, um, let's pray. Would you pray along with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made us and that we are not our own and that you have bought us with the price of the blood of your son Jesus. Though each of us like sheep have wandered away into our own way of doing things and thinking things and deciding things, you have reached out to us in the person of your son Jesus and you have sent him to the cross on our behalf so that our sins, just like we sang, though they are many, you have washed away in his spotless, precious blood. Thank you for calling us and even commanding us to believe in the one whom you have sent, and that is Jesus. And thank you, Lord that you called us not to a dry belief, but like Jesus said in John 17, 3, that eternal life is even more than a place. It is knowing you 
Father and Jesus whom you have sent. That personal, living, moment-by-moment relationship into which you invite us and wherein we find life abundant indeed and joy unspeakable. And yet, from all that your word teaches us, the best is still yet to be. And we've seen nothing compared to what we will see that eyes have not seen, nor has ear, ears heard, nor have entered into anybody's heart the things that you have prepared for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And so we do continue to worship you here this morning. Thank you for those who led us in song and praise. Thank you for Nathan leading us into Psalm 100 during the Sunday school hour. Thank you for those who are in the nursery taking care of the wee ones. Thank you for all these children and their moms and dads. And thank you for those single people among us and for the preciousness and irreplaceable, just uniqueness of each one. And Lord, as we look in your word, we thank you that you're able to meet us individually where we are. You've, you've given me things to say about this passage, but, Lord, I ask you to take and personalize it to each and every person in this room and that each one of us, when we leave here in a little bit, and hopefully everybody can stay for the fellowship meal afterwards, Lord, that we would leave and say, God spoke to me today. God spoke to me by his spirit through his word, even through the feebleness of preaching. And, Lord, that we would all leave this place further equipped, further encouraged, further strengthened in you. So help us to be strong in you and in the strength of your might. And we give you all the glory and praise, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got a familiar passage before us, and I invite you to read it with me. It's from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, and let's read that, and then I'll share some remarks about it. Are you able to put that on there? Oh, Okay. And if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. So let's read that together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Very familiar, yes? Let's chew on it a bit. God's word is to be chewed on 
and swallowed and digested and we are incredibly nourished by his living inerrant and eternal word two things will last forever one is his word and one is the people whom he has created and through jesus christ god brings us together with his word and with him in a personal relationship that lasts forever my prayer as we approach his word and then approach the lord's table here in a little bit is that for everyone that is already walking with jesus that you would be encouraged and invigorated as we spend this time together and for every one of you who has not yet stepped across that line for whatever reason to know that god's invitation is there for you to come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest jesus says take my yoke upon me upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you shall find rest for your souls and oh how we need rest for our souls and god is able to give it to us through his son jesus and as we fellowship one with another so the apostle paul god used to write this passage and most everybody probably knows that but he used to be an unbeliever and by god's intervening grace he became a believer and then he helped other people come to faith in christ and he helped people grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ and so he writes these words under inspiration of the spirit and he says i received from the lord what i also delivered to you in other words god gave this to me and i'm passing it on to you and do you know that as i look at scripture everything that god gives us he gives us with a dual purpose one is so that we can have the thing he gave us because he wants to bless us and secondly so that we can share it with those around us and so we can pass it on and the lord has given us himself and he has given us this remembrance of him that we call the lord's supper or number of other names along the way the bread the cup representing the blood the body and the blood of jesus but paul received it and then he turned around and he delivered it to others and there's a challenge for all of us right there is not to keep what god gives us to ourselves, but to say lord wow you're blessing me how can i pass it on to those around me how can i not only be blessed but be a blessing paul was learning that and we're learning that and i love my son scott my son-in-law i've loved him for a long time and we invited me to come and speak the word to this group i was honored and with fear and trembling do i come because i want to rightly handle the word of truth and i want you to be blessed and i would even pray so boldly to the lord that when we leave here you would 
have been so impacted by the word and the worship and you're praying before the Lord this morning here as we've gathered, you, you'd be so overcome with the greatness of God that you wouldn't even remember I've been here. That's my prayer, that you would be so blessed. So here we go. The Lord Jesus, and that's our focus, is it not? Jesus is the center piece. Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament, pointed to between three and 400 times explicitly. And then he's declared in the New Testament, even as we look forward to him coming again with great glory and power. And we long for that day. The Lord Jesus, we're looking at him here. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. And think of that word night with me. I don't know how many of you have been scared of the night. But sometimes it can be scary if the wind's howling and the lightning's flashing and the electricity goes out and you don't know if a tree's going to come down on the house or you don't know if you're driving, if you're really seeing the road or what. But nights can be scary. And why are they scary? Because you can't see as well as in the day. And here it was night. And go with me back there. That night, that last night that Jesus had in the flesh with his disciples, the Lord's Supper, they were getting ready to have that. And it was night. And there was confusion. Because they couldn't see all that was coming. Even though Jesus had spelled it out on numerous occasions, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and be beaten and sentenced to death and crucified. He told them it was coming, but it was so hard for them to believe. But there it was, and the night was here. And they didn't know exactly how things would turn out. And you as a church, I understand have been through a night when you weren't sure what is coming next what's going to ha happen what's it going to be like tomorrow and that can be very scary and I don't know how it's been for each and every one of you the night through which you have been but God knows and he loves you and back in the Psalms we're encouraged in Psalm 139, I believe, where even though we can't see in the dark, God can. And he put us together in our mama's wombs in the dark. And that the darkness is as the light to him. He's not one bit thwarted by our confusion. And he's right there with us and he loves us through it. And there is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place and I sensed it during Sunday school and I sense it in interacting with you every time we've been up here and I join you in giving praise to God for that that he's here with you he's not going to leave you nor forsake you and we can pray with gladness for whoever has left this group that God would bless and make his 
purpose is known, wherever they might be. But it was night, and Jesus was there, and the disciples weren't exactly sure what all was coming, but Jesus knew it. Sometime in the past, Jesus had said, let's go to Jerusalem. And they said, no, no, Jesus, we can't go there. You know, it's getting hotter every time we go. And you don't want to go there because they're already talking about killing you. The religious leaders don't like you. They despise you. We don't need to go there. But Jesus said, no, we're going. Because I came into the world for this purpose, to do my Father's will. And for this purpose came I into the world, he says in John 17, to go to the cross for my sins and your sins upon his back on that cross so that we might be delivered from our sins. For no other the remedy would do, would it? For the soul that sinneth must, must die. And sin, the only way to cure it is to kill it. You don't have to raise your hand if you've had cancer. But the only way to stop cancer is to kill it, right? There's no other way. And for anybody who's had cancer or currently dealing with cancer, there's a day coming when you won't have to deal with it anymore, when God takes you to glory as a believer in Jesus. When your body dies, the cancer is gone forever. Praise his name. And sin is the worst kind of cancer, and we've all got it. And we come to Christ, and we're forgiven for our sins, and we're given a new life that will last forever through faith in him. But we still deal with it, don't, don't we? And that's why the remission of sin is talked about in Scripture. Just like you go into remission with cancer, well, we go into remission of sin, but it keeps rearing its head up. If you're like me, there it squirts out again, unbeknownst, unexpected. But the day is coming when we shall be totally delivered forevermore, all because of Jesus. And look what was on his mind that night, rather than knowing that he was going to the cross. It was not, oh, me, myself, and I, this is horrible. No, no. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he was loving these disciples, and he was loving us, the Bible says, all the way to the end, not falling short of loving us all the way through to our redemption. And so he took bread, and we all know what bread is, and it's a staple, and maybe you can't eat bread because of gluten things or something, but Bread is probably the most common food around the world, isn't it? And he took something that was most common and most familiar with the disciples, and he, he had it in his hands, and he knows all about it. And he said, when you look at this, think of me. This most essential to life bread that God has provided for you and for me to live should be a reminder to us of Jesus, the bread of life, the true bread that has come down from heaven, the Bible says, 
by which if we are nourished with Jesus, it gives us life that will last forever. Only Jesus can do that. Only the bread of life, which is Jesus, can give us everlasting life. And so he took that most common thing and he used it to illustrate what he was fixing to do. He said, after he gave thanks and broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Notice how it says he had given thanks. Jesus has always been one with the Father. No fracture between them. But it was coming at the cross when he was punished for our sins on the cross. But he and the Father had always been one. Always. The Father and I are one. And everything that the Father has, he gave to the Son. And everything the Son is came from the Father. Total unity. <coughs> A relationship of love from all eternity past and into all eternity future. And yet Jesus turned around and thanked the Father for this bread. Let's not miss that. Sometimes when people with whom we are most familiar do something for us, we don't say thank you. If y'all are like me, we take it for granted. Well, it's mom. She's going to feed me. It's always, always right to say thank you. Jesus thanked the Father for that bread even before he broke it. And then he broke it. And for bread to be eaten, it's got to be broken. We can't push the whole loaf in our mouth and be nourished. It's got to be broken and swallowed and nourished. The Scripture tells us, taste and see that Lord is good. And that was one of the songs that we sang. Taste and see. For he is good. And when we taste something, we have to swallow it for it to give us nourishment, don't we? We've got to swallow it. If we just taste it and then don't swallow, that's all we got was the taste. And in Hebrews, it talks about some people who are in a terrible predicament who have tasted, but apparently who never swallowed. Oh, that we might swallow fully and drink deeply of that which Jesus gives us, which can come from nowhere else. This is my body, which is for you. We see in Jesus what we don't see anywhere else, and that is a person totally given over to serve people. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. Jesus loves you and me that much that he gives himself. The father was pleased to crush him, Isaiah 53. Not because he wanted to crush his son, but because he loves you and me that much. 
He was pleased to crush him as he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him of bringing many sons and daughters to glory, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Always with you and to me on his mind. Even as he hung there on the cross with the, with the uh, physical challenge that's beyond what I would imagine any of us could imagine. He was looking at his mama and he said, Mother, behold, your son and he pointed her to john the apostle and then he said to john he said john behold your mother and that disciple took her into his home from thenceforth the bible says jesus was mindful of his mama he was mindful of his disciples he was mindful of those two criminals hanging there and when that that one called out with desperation lord Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was mindful and welcoming of him as feeble as was his prayer for mercy from Jesus. I got to hear my dad call out to Jesus that way. I never knew if he was a believer or not. But I spent the last six months pretty much at his bedside. And I heard him in the middle of the night calling out to God for mercy. And it blessed me because I knew he was calling out in the right place to Jesus, the one whom alone can save. And so I was glad that he had called out. And I could know that he died in the Lord. So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me and then after they had eaten he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood new covenant and the book of hebrews in the new testament talks about the passing away of the old covenant the covenant of laws and sacrifices and procedures that God had prescribed in the Old Testament to point out his holiness and the seriousness of our sin and our need to draw near to him and his gladness to welcome us. And Jesus, the fulfillment of all of that in his own person, in his own person, and he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It cost him to die. To save us. He gave his life. We hear stories about people that do that now and then. In a small way don't we? Somebody tries to save someone drowning. And they themselves drown. How many of you know the name of Dawson Trotman? Know the name of the ministry called the Navigators. Dawson Trotman was the first one there. And scripture memory, God used that ministry in my college years to help me hide away in my heart many passages that still stick by God's grace. And now the sticky has worn out to where I, it's hard for me to memorize new things. But those things I memorized in my 20s uh, under influence of Navigator Brothers in the, in the Lord, 
uh, those have stuck well. But Dawson Trotman, the founder of that ministry, he died jumping in a river trying to save some drowning people. He gave his life. Awesome picture of the even greater message and what we have in our Savior Jesus. He jumped in the river of our sin, and he did it to save us from our sins. But death couldn't hold him, could it? Praise his name. Because he came back like he said he would. And he said, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Have your mind on me as you take the bread and as you take the cup. Think of me and how much I love you that I jumped in to save you. And for all who put their trust in me, I utterly saved to the uttermost. No one is ever disappointed having put their trust in Jesus. Put your trust in the church and you'll get burned. Put your trust in another human being and you'll be disappointed. Put your trust in Jesus and he'll never let you down. He won't do it the way we want him to most of the time, but he'll never be un prove himself untrustworthy to us. He is utterly trustworthy. Do this often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do two things here. Look at the last. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as we do this, we're looking at his death again and again and again and again because therein is our salvation. Therein is our forgiveness of sin. Therein is our redemption. Jesus said, and what's that most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And right before John 3.16, remember that Old Testament passage that he pointed to? Anybody want to shout that out? What did Jesus point to before John 3.16? He pointed way back to the wilderness experience of the children of God, the Israelites, when they were bitten by snakes because of their, their sinful rebellion against God. And God sent serpents among them so as to draw their attention back to himself. And many of them were dying. And God said to Moses, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole and tell people if they will but look to that bronze serpent, they will be healed of the snake bite. And as many as looked to that bronze serpent, just like God promised, they were healed of their serpent bite. And Jesus said that right before John 3:16. He said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up on a pole so that whosoever puts their faith in him will be saved. What a, what a blessing. How many of you know the name Charles Spurgeon? Wow. And if I remember correctly, having seen a history of that man in film 
Guess what the preacher preached on the day that Charles Spurgeon got saved? There was one word that captured Charles Spurgeon because it was a snowstorm. And Charles was walking because there were no vehicles, of course. And there was this little church out in the middle of nowhere. And he jumped inside to uh, get out of the weather. And there was a preacher in there. And the preacher used one word. He said, look, look unto Jesus and you will be saved. And God got a hold of Charles Spurgeon right there. He looked to Jesus as they looked at that serpent on the pole. And so we're looking back at the Lord's death as God's means for our redemption. And then we're looking forward to his coming again. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> and it's with great certainty that we can anticipate his coming again. He has proven himself to be faithful in all that he has ever said. Remember when the, the ladies went to the tomb of Jesus after his death and burial and the angels were sitting there and they said, uh, what, what y'all or who y'all looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And they said, well, he's not here for he has risen just as he said, just as he said. He said, no one, in John 14, 26, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own authority, and I will raise it up again for this commandment I received from my Father. Jesus, always in charge, always in control, even on the cross, even in the tomb. When Jesus comes again, to receive us unto himself, that where he is there we may be also. It'll be just as he said, for he is faithful and true and worthy to be absolutely altogether trusted and obeyed. I have a second passage for you to look at by which to be encouraged. And that's Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. If you want to take a moment to turn there. This is one of the preview things that the Lord gave way back in the Old Testament. This, in this case, about 700 years before Jesus was born of a virgin, just as was said he would be. And that, if you'll put that reference up there about Isaiah 25, Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. And thank you for Tori and Alyssa running the sound in audiovisual booth. How many of you have photo albums? Either on your phone or in book form? Does anybody not? Um, it helps us look back and remember, doesn't it? Does anybody have a photo album of what's coming next week? Did nobody take pictures? We can't do that, can we? But in the Old Testament, we have God's photo album of what's coming before it ever came to be. Where Jesus would be born, where he would be raised, what he would say, what he would do, 
what would be done to him. Between three and four hundred things said of Jesus in a photo album before it was to happen. And only God could say such a thing and only God could pull it off. But he knows the end from the beginning and he's got us covered. Praise his name. And we don't have to hesitate to altogether put our faith in him. So I'm going to read Isaiah 25, 6 through 9 and make a few comments along the way. This is a vivid preview of what God was going to do by sending Jesus into the world. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, on this mountain, and there's a whole trail of scriptures that we could follow, but not time right now to do it, where this seems to be talking of Mount Moriah, one of the mountains of Moriah. And anybody remember anything about the mountain of Moriah and what happened there? Abraham and Isaac. Very good. And God told Abraham to take his son Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him to the Lord. And because of the relationship that Abraham had with the father through faith, Abraham obeyed and took his son Isaac and went all the way to the point of sacrificing him because that's what God told him to do. He certainly didn't understand it. This was the child of promise through whom many peoples and nations would come forth. But Abraham obeyed because he knew the Lord. But God told him to stop at the last moment and provided a substitute on the mountains of Moriah. And God has provided a substitute for you and for me. And his name is Jesus. And that's what this Lord's Supper is all about. A substitute so that we would not have to die forever for our sins which have separated us from God who is holy. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. So quite a spread, quite a description of an altogether overwhelmingly wonderful outlay of nourishment for his people. And what will he do by doing this? He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The Lord of hosts will swallow, will swallow. He's asking us to swallow Jesus because he has swallowed our sins in himself. He has drunk the bitter pill of our sinfulness, and he has swallowed it fully. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And then it goes further describing what's he going to swallow. He will swallow up death forever. And Jesus has done that. And it's not just for us, but for all people. Whosoever will put their trust in the name of Jesus. He has swallowed our sins. Our sins, though they are many, 
He has swallowed them, every one. There's nothing so atrocious, horrible, awful, abominable in your life or in mine. And I can only speak for myself. That there's nothing so awful of our sin that God is not willing and glad to swallow so that we can be forgiven and enjoy fellowship with him forevermore. Is that not overwhelmingly wonderful? Who else does that? You go to the used car lot and they say, well, your, your car is a dump. I'll give you $500. But here, I've got this one for you for 25000 Could we go to a car lot with our old clunker and the, and the salesman says, your car is a wreck but I'm willing to take it and just give you this new one. That's just a dim example of what God has done by taking our trash and giving us his righteousness. For he who knew no sin, in 2 Corinthians 5, became sin on my behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He gives us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. What, what a Savior. What a God who loves us. What a God who does awesome things. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And that's in Revelation too, isn't it? The tear wiping is coming, brothers and sisters. We've got tears, lots of them. But the day's coming when he's going to wipe them, every one away. And there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. I'm looking forward to being totally sin-free. I've been provisionally set free through the blood of Jesus, but man, it's still wreaking havoc with me. But I'm looking forward to being as he is, for I shall see him as he is. First John chapter 3. What love the Father has for us that we should be called his children. He wants to adopt us. He wants to adopt me. Oh, I, I can't fathom that. And yet God who knows me better than I know myself, he wants to adopt me and has through faith in Jesus. And he wants to adopt every one of us. And so many of you are his adopted children today. Praise his name. And he's preparing that place for us. He's going to wipe all tears away. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The reproach, our sin has created havoc in all the earth. In Isaiah, the earth is polluted by the iniquity of the inhabitants thereof. We've, we've, we've misused this world, and it shows. And we have misused our lives, and it shows. But God swallows it. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Because we cannot save ourselves, but we have waited for him to come, and Jesus has come. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. 
Nathan talked about being glad and rejoicing in worship and song. Let me close by reading a couple of lyrics for you. How many of you know how deep the Father's love for us? I'm just going to read the lyrics to that. Descriptive of what God promised he would do and has done and which we celebrate today in the Lord's Supper. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. Remember when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling Psalm 22, 1. He took it. He swallowed it for us. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out upon the scoffers, among the scoffers. <clears throat> it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath hath brought me life. I know that it is finished, just like Jesus said one of his last phrases on the cross. It is finished. Praise his name. It is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. That's what we celebrate here today. Oh, what a Savior. And then, oh, how he loves you and me. Be refreshed to think of that again and again. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for mankind to show. What he did there brought hope from despair. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Father, thank you for your word, which points us to Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit helping us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for refreshing us with the table of the Lord, your table that you've prepared through the body and blood of Jesus on our behalf. And thank you for your blessing on Ken and whoever's helping him with the table here. And, Lord, as we approach the table, overwhelm us with your great and awesome love by which you have reached out to us and accomplished for us our salvation. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.